You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. The majority of mental illnesses begin during late adolescence and early adulthood, during the years when the teenage brain is still continuing to form. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable, and I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey. With me today is Dr. Monique Ernst. Dr. Ernst is board certified in psychiatry and neurology and is senior staff clinician in the intramural program at the National Institute of Mental Health. She's a researcher in the branch of developmental and affective neuroscience of the Mood and Anxiety Disorders Program. Her research focuses on brain mechanisms involved in the risk factors, pathogenesis, and treatment of pediatric neuropsychiatric disorders. Welcome, Dr. Ernst. Thank you. Today we're discussing psychopathology and the adolescent brain. So is the adolescent brain more vulnerable to psychopathology? So it appears so. Epidemiological studies, which are the studies of population, show a definite increase of onset of disorders, of psychiatric disorders during adolescence. Those disorders are depression, anxiety, substance use, and impulsivity, disorders of impulsivity. And we've all noticed how moody and emotional adolescents can be. How is that reflected in the changes going on in their brain? And then their, I assume, vulnerability to depressive and anxiety disorders. What appears to be is that there is some changes that occur in the area that govern emotions, like the amygdala, or that governs reward-seeking or risk-seeking, like the uh, striatum and uh, the dopamine system. And these changes might occur at different time, even a very small changes in the timetable and the evolution of this change that may tilt the balance among the function of these regions and thus change the behavior and emotional responses and lead to disorders. And at this point, we don't know very well how this is happening and this is what we are researching. But there is a definitely time of vulnerability during adolescence for the onset of psychiatric problems. And are girls and boys affected differently? Are their brains developing differently? This is, of course, an excellent question. And again, the observation of behaviors in adolescence and uh, psychiatric problems in adolescence show that there is some difference in the way girls and boys are affected by psychiatric problems. So, for example, up to adolescence, there are as many girls as boys that are affected by depression. But during adolescence, suddenly there are more girls that become affected by depression than boys. Similarly, we know, for instance, that ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, affects more boys than girls in pre-adolescence. And then during adolescence, there may be more girls that become, that, that starts having problems with ADHD-type symptoms. I realize that the research is ongoing, but what are the theories or the models about how that happens and why? There are some findings showing that the, for instance, the dopamine system is evolving differently in girls and in boys. It's not clear to what extent these changes are affected by hormonal changes. But we know, for instance, that the estrogen is strongly associated with function of the dopamine system. We know also testosterone 
is associated with increased aggression. And uh, those studies have been done in animals, and there are some correlates in the humans as well. But the research is too new now to know exactly what are the origins of the difference in the changes during adolescence. And I'm thinking of the the use of drugs and alcohol in this population that's just, you know, a growing problem. I can imagine that there are really profound effects on brain development if they're using these substances at this really critical formative stage. Right. And this is very, very important. It's critical. So there are two things going on. One is that based on the changes that we talked about, the adolescents are more at risk to start using drugs. Secondly, because of the way their brain is, they are more vulnerable to the effect of drugs. The effect of drugs may lead to more profound effects on the brain by changing the way that the brain functions in adolescence. It's been shown, for instance, that early exposure to nicotine will make these adolescents more likely to smoke later and more likely to be treatment response failures, so not to be able to respond to smoking cessation programs later on. So this suggests that early use of nicotine in this case would make these adolescents more difficult to treat later and more likely to continue to use later. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey, and we're speaking today with Dr. Monique Ernst, who is senior staff clinician in the intramural program at the National Institute of Mental Health and board certified in psychiatry and neurology. We're talking about psychopathology and the adolescent brain. So you were just explaining to us, Dr. Ernst, about how adolescents seek out some of these substances like nicotine or drugs or alcohol through these approach mechanisms and risk and novelty-seeking mechanisms within their neural development, and yet the very substances that they seek or experiences that they seek make them more vulnerable to the negative effects of those experiences and more resistant to remediation later. Right. And and the other thing that is happening with risk-taking is that there is a huge paradox in adolescence, which is the period during which every faculties are at their peak of function. So this is when individuals are the fastest, their health is the best. <laughs> And uh, despite this, it's the highest peak of mortality and mobility. It grows by 100% compared to young adults and children, mainly due to accidents, drug use, suicide. How is that happening within their brain that's making them more at risk for suicide? So suicide has well-known connection with impulsivity, and so that may be one bias by which the adolescent is more likely to commit suicide. Also, there is the observation that adolescents are more mood-labile, and the intensity of the emotions is also increased. And as we talked about, their decision-making is not always very rational, or they have less of a braking system that makes them freeze or flee dangerous situations or even dangerous So their cortical functions, their higher order executive kinds of cognitive functions are not in balance with their 
impulsivity and novelty seeking. Right. These different changes in behavior and drives and emotions make them more vulnerable. And also, as we say, it's uh, the time when emotions are much more intense. And what then about the use of psychotropic medications with adolescents, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications? How do they interact with adolescent brain development? This is a very hot topic. There has been, in the past five years, the warning that SSRI, which are the most commonly used medication now for depression and anxiety in adolescents and kids and also in adults, of course, may put adolescents at risk for suicide because they might have a specific effect in the adolescent brain. So this risk is to be, of course, balanced with the benefit of having kids under treatment. And as a psychopharmacologist, I can tell you that the benefits are huge. They make a huge difference in the life of adolescents who are not only developing their brain, but they're developing socially and at school and academically, and they're developing their self-esteem and their sense of self. And having, being depressed, for instance, is a huge impediment in their social development, their emotional development, which, as we know, will affect also the brain development. So on balance, these antidepressant, anti-anxiety medications are really necessary and very powerfully helpful to so many teens. Right. But then we always have to be very careful and cautious in the way that we prescribe these medications. And the implications would be to monitor them closely and supplement with other types of treatment as well? And warn them and follow them very carefully. Are there other types of clinical treatments that would seem to be most helpful to the adolescent brain? So we know that a lot of uh, teenagers are also treated with stimulants for attention problems and impulsivity. So stimulants have been used since the early 30s, 1930s. So we know a lot about this medication, and we haven't detected adverse effects later on related to this medication. So if they have any deleterious effects, they may not be detectable and they may not be above the normal problems that adults encounter. On the other hand, we also know that it seems that adolescents with ADHD who are treated with stimulants have less problems with substance use later on. So it seems to be a protector against substance use, whether it's protecting from going towards using substance and getting hooked with substance, for instance, And I want to thank you, Dr. Monique Ernst, for being our guest today when we've been discussing psychopathology in the adolescent brain. I'm Dr. Laura Humphrey. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.